Well, Father, we just thank you. Um, thank you that you're, you're here, that you're moving already. Father, and as we, uh, in some ways, there was, a, I'm sure, many messages already spoken today, and maybe some people re- already received exactly what they needed, Lord God, in your presence as we worshiped, as you ministered to hearts, Lord. And I just thank you as we just kind of uh, move into this, this segment, so to say, Father, that, that your word would just fill us up, that it would wash us in areas where the enemy would just try to condemn us or make us feel ashamed or the world, just the weight of the things of the world would come upon us that, Lord God, just the, the power of your word, just washing all those things off, all those weights off power of your name, the power of your word, the power of your blood. We just bless you and we honor you and we're open to you, Lord God. We love you. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for guiding us. And we just received today and everybody said, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Well, before we get started, I wanted to, uh, we've been going over some scriptures in our theme for this year of hope and freedom, knowing that you know all hope and, and freedom is found in Jesus and we're always going to need hope. Hope is eternal. And uh, no matter how free we are in Jesus right now, there's always more freedom, can you say amen, to be able to walk in, and uh, not just for us to be free for ourselves, but obviously to be free for ourselves, but then to also be really a billboard of freedom for other people of what Jesus can do, because He is freedom. You know, the things that He gives to us and the promises that He gives to us are not just these things, the promise is really Himself. He's giving us Himself. And we get to learn and understand and um, just by the power of the amazing Holy Spirit who leads us to be able to walk in this new nature that he's given us in Christ. So there's all these places, you know, things that we get to walk in. Hopefully you've already been experienced greater freedom in your life. I know I have. I've experienced greater freedom in my life this year. And uh, even greater hope and just believing and trusting in God that no matter sometimes the world just happens to us and it seems like there's no hopeless, there's, there's no hope at all, but there's no hopelessness in Christ. There's always hope in Christ Jesus. And some of that is just changing our perspective and, and, and the way that we think and the way that we see, uh, the way that we're speaking and the way that all those things really just uh, help us to, to act differently out of our new nature instead of our old nature. Can you say Amen. So let's do our scriptures. These are the scriptures we've been focusing on this year. Let's look at Romans, and, uh, and we'll declare this together. There we go. Romans fifteen thirteen. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Galatians 5, 1. Here we go. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And then John 8, 31 and 32. Here we go. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's going to make you free. Those are some powerful scriptures right there. And it's just not words. This is the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. So I wanted to talk to you today on, you know, we were talking about some transitions that we were going through as a church, but the reality is that every single one of us walk through transitions 
all the time. You're in a transition right now. You're in a transition right now, and, and the truth is there's going to be hundreds, maybe thousands of transitions that God will lead you in in your lifetime. And uh, they don't have to seem to, you know, they don't have to be this hard thing. They can actually begin to feel natural. God wants them to feel natural for us. Uh, and they, they can begin to feel natural when we begin to understand what transitions are meant for, number one. And number two, that we stop resisting them, right? There's that change. A lot of people don't want to change. I don't want to change. Why can't it just stay the same? Well, there's a reason for it, and I, I, I want to help you. I don't know what transition you're in right now. Maybe there's a transitions in your family. Maybe there's transition in the sense of work. Maybe there's transition in your marriage. Maybe there's transitions in, uh, uh, you know, God leading you somewhere else or leading you to something or whatever it's going to be. I want to help you understand what the transitions are for and uh, to understand even, even as well that, you know, um, he's leading us into more of himself, and when God does one thing, he's really, you know, expounding upon it. It's kind of progressive. I think Bill Johnson talked about that with different people. Like, you just, our faith is progressive. It's continuing, you know, we're getting stronger. We're understanding more about Jesus, and there's things that God has shared with me in my life um, that I've transitioned in that have been years ago, like 2007, 2008, and God still, again, bringing back and kind of like bringing a depthness to those things. One of the things he spoke to me, uh, I, I think it was around 2008 or 2009, I remember I was a traveling minister at the time. I was sitting in my mobile office, which was just my car, in a Lowe's parking lot because our kids were a lot younger then and it was hard to get work done at the house. So I would just take my car and park under a shade tree with the AC on and just make my calls and do whatever there on my dashboard uh, desk. And, uh, and just, you know, some things that I was feeling like God wasn't there for me. And, you know, for a period up to this point, it was probably two years where God kept telling me over and over again, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And uh, maybe you've heard this before, but I'm just going to lead off with this. And I knew, according to God's word, that he was with me, but I really didn't attach my faith to it yet. See, there's one thing that we see the truth in God's word, right? But then really attaching our faith to God's word and then really embracing it, and then we begin to embody that truth. It begins, it begins to become a part of our lives where we're not, it's not a guessing game anymore. It's a done deal. And in, in that time, I still wasn't getting it, and I'm at, you know, in my mobile office there, and God says, I'm with you, Jeff. Don't you get it? And I'm like, oh, I guess I don't, God. How many would thank God for his mercy and his kindness? And then he said it. He expounded because I just needed some expounding. He said, when I say that I'm with you, it means that you have everything that you will ever need. And it just, it, that revelation of that sunk in me. And then there's still those things. You know, sometimes God would, would speak that and maybe this will help somebody today. It's been many years since then, 2008. Here we are, 2023. Just on Saturday, God brought me back to that again. There's been many years across this time, God would bring that back to me. I'm with you, Jeff, and I'm with you, Jeff. And sometimes it was easy for me. I could take it as a condemnation, like, oh, I still didn't get it. I still didn't get it. You're with me. And God, he gave me this revelation on Saturday. He's like, when I repeat this to you, I'm not saying that you don't got it. I'm just affirming the truth for you. 
And I'm just like, oh, just a depthness. I'm with you. I'm with you. So he'll tell us one thing, that he's with us, and then he, he has no problem telling us over and over and over again. Even when we finally get what he's saying, he wants to wash us and affirm us in his truth. He never stops. Can you say amen? So I want to talk, I want to help them title this message this morning is Translating Transitions. Translating Transitions. So uh, let's first start off with the word transition. So in the dictionary, the word transition means this, a change or shift from one state, subject, or place to another. Another one is something that links one state, subject, or place to another, a connecting part or a piece, a connecting part or a piece. I like Noah's, Noah Webster's dictionary, and I have one of his dictionaries. It's an old one. It's back from like 1828. Um, it's before, you know, a lot of stuff started getting changed, and, you know, they would change different words of their meanings of them for today's society. And he said this about transitions in the, in the dictionary in 1828. He says, a transition should be done so as to appear natural and easy. It should be done to appear as if it's a natural thing. It's just an easy process, but a lot of times we go through transitions and we just, man, we're just bucking that thing, right? We, we just resist it or we don't even understand why it even has to happen. But remember, God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the sky is above the earth, so are my thoughts and yours. Here's the invitation. Let me show you why we're doing this. And what God is doing, he wants to lead us into himself. Some of, the, um, some of the synonyms for transitions are to an adjustment, an alteration, a modification, some remodeling. Anybody feel any of that going on in your life right now? Maybe you feel like you're getting adjusted or uh, some alterations going on. Hey, 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 that don't fit like it used to fit, right? Modifications, remodeling. And then there's two that come a little bit more closer. I like these ones. Transformation. A transition is a transformation. And then one that, you know, for if, if you've been in church any length of time, here's one that would just, it goes along with that, may sound a little more familiar, it's transfiguration. When we see the transfiguration, we think about Jesus whenever he was on the mountain. And that's where I want to start. Jesus is getting ready to go up to the mountain and to be transfigured before his disciples, really before Peter, James, and John. And before he goes into this, he gives a pretty heavy uh, lesson where he begins to talk to his disciples about following him and what it is to truly be his disciples. So let's look at this first. This is in Luke chapter 9, uh, 23 and 24. And he, Jesus, was saying to them all, this is all those who were around with him at that time, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and he must take up his cross not just once, but daily. I like that. You must take up the cross daily, and you must follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who's going to save it. That's a pretty, heavy, a pretty heavy teaching right there. We could spend a lot of time on that. But I want to go on just a few scriptures later. It says, after these sayings, after saying the things that he just did, Jesus took along Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. One of the gospels, I think it's either Mark or, or Mark or Matthew says he went up to be alone. 
went up to be alone and to pray. And while he was praying, his appearance, the appearance of his face became different or transformed, another, another uh, gospel account gives. And his clothing became white and gleaming. The literal translation there is that really um, they begin to flash like lightning. I think it was Matthew's the one that said that it was, it was so white and so bright, he was trying to give uh, you know, an understanding of, of what was happening, this transformation that had happened in Jesus' appearance. He said it was so bright and so gleaming that there is nothing on this earth that we could use to make it that clean. He was thinking about laundry. There's, 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 no, there's no detergent that could make it as clean and bright. And I love you know, that literal translation where it says it, it, that he, it really became a flashing light lightning. It became gleaming. He was flashing. Really, his, his glory was shining through in that transfiguration of what he was doing. And then Peter, James, and John got to behold this. Jesus is, you know, Jesus, he's the one who really translates and demonstrates the power of transitions. Max, uh, or John Maxwell, in his book, Today Matters, he said, the underlining message from God is not to act differently but to be differently. It's not just acting differently, it's to be different. So a transition is not about doing, it's about becoming. And it's about becoming more like him. So the question is, in this transition that you're in right now, what are you becoming? Or a better question would be this, who are you becoming because of the process? The process of the transition actually brings an opportunity that you wouldn't have without that process to become something more than you are right now. But it takes that process, it takes that, that transition, that space that God uses and so delights in. God delights in the space where you become more like him. Even as much as you are like him right now, will you get a greater revelation of who you really are in him? He delights in that space that seems to be a lot of times so uncomfortable. And God don't delight that you're uncomfortable. He delights that he's stirring things up. He delights in the process of getting you to be able to see things the way that he sees things, hears things the way that he hears things, so that you can become who he really wants you to be in him. Are you with me? Translation brings more than change. Translation, or the transition, makes transformation possible. Transitions make transformation possible. They're the pathway to transformation. You know, Jesus... You know, brought this, the first time he was so, tra you know, I guess I can say that he was so transactional, you know, I mean, when he began to speak to people, uh, we, I have friends like that, Jesus was the same way when, when someone speaks to you, uh, he, he, he just said something that just like almost enforced the, your, the, just your thought patterns, everything to be like, to be challenged in order to be more. And I, and I love that. So he, he's just walking along one day, and maybe the disciples saw him, and maybe they knew who he was already. I don't know, you know, in that way. But he just walks up to Peter and James and John as they're on their shore, and he's like, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And he just kind of walks on, right? And, but something about, something about who he was was challenging them to transition from where they were. See, you... God wants to get us to a place where uh, there's always going to be that uh, little, little bit of an, an element where we've got to be unsatisfied with where we are. Now, we want to be content because there's great reward in godly contentment. 
but still being unsettled knowing that there is so much more of God to be able to grasp hold of and greater levels for us to be able to walk in in this life, in, in the, 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 the seasons that we're in right now. And the Passion Translation says this in Matthew 4, 19. This is about him calling them. And he said, Jesus called them out. He called them out and said to them, come and follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people. I'm going to transform you into men that catch people. It's like God is saying, like, this is what I want to do. I want to use your life to become the thing to use to attract people to me. I want to use your life to be able to attract other people to me. But to have that attraction, there's some things that are going to have to take place. There's some transitions that are taking place in order to mold you into my image. I will use you to pull, uh, I'll use you to pull people into an experience with me so that they can see me, fall in love with me, and make the life decision to become like me. As I begin to think about this, you know, he's, he's kind of using that, obviously these, these, these disciples were fishermen, so he's using some fishing analogy. And as I begin to think about that a little bit more, he's like, hey, you guys are fishing, just getting back, you know, if you follow me, I'll, I'll make you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform you. There's a process involved in this, but I'm going to make you men who are going to catch people. You're going to be man catchers. How about that? You know, he's like, well, this is taking it from like just fish to all of a sudden bigger because, I mean, what's more important than a human race, right? And as I begin to think about that, I'm thinking like, what's the most exciting thing about fishing? What's the most exciting thing about fishing? It's the struggle that takes place. Whenever you get that fish on there, it's the struggle that takes place. This is the exciting part that takes place during the, the process of pulling that fish from one habitat into another habitat. And this is, God wants us to view these processes and sometimes, sometimes there's, I don't want to say like, you know, the transitions because there's, there's joy in transitions and, and sometimes it can be a little scary. Sometimes, you know, as you're just stepping out in things, it can be a little scary, you know, stepping out in faith and going to new levels in faith and you don't have all the answers right there at that moment that God begins to lay out, but he's always going to lay something in front of you and as you're obedient to what he shows you, he'll lay out some other things for you. Then there can be times when he may lay out a, a couple steps process, but he's never just really going to throw the whole thing down to you. Sometimes he may even show you the end, the end result. You can see it wait th down there, but you don't get everything that you need along the way to the whole process it takes to get there. And those are all the transitions that take place. And, and God wants to, he's, he's excited in that part where he's, he, he's challenging us to be from one habitat where we're used to living in, so to say, and being pulled out to be able to live in the habitat of the kingdom of God and trusting and obeying and following his lead wherever it's going to be. Are you with me? Thank you, Jesus. That's the exciting part. So let me remind you something we said in the beginning. Transitions begin to feel more real when, number one, you understand the purpose of the transition. And the purpose of the transition is for you to become more like Jesus. This, this is really, if you want to say the goal in life here, why we're here, is for us to become more like Jesus. We can't miss it in the midst of everything else that happens in a transition, whatever's going on. It's not about doing something for God. It's about being someone for God. It's about being more like him where he wants to send us. So whatever he's doing, whatever that transition is that you're walking in right now, there's an element where he's causing you to become more like him as you yield to who he is.
So it begins to feel more natural when, number one, you understand what the transition, the, the, the transition is for, and number two, if we stop resisting it. We don't want to resist the transition. Some of the questions we could be asking God is like, God, what do you want to do in me right now? What are you wanting to do with whatever's going on? We talked about this at the beginning of the year. You know, we're, we're to count every, every transition, or you want to say transition, every, every opposition, every trial, every, every opposing thing that would try to come against us. James says we're to count it an opportunity for great joy. What greater joy is there than to becoming more like Jesus, right? So whatever it is that we're walking through, we miss it sometimes because we're, we're focused on the things that we're walking through and, and we begin to resist things and we don't understand things and we can begin to understand things if we would just take it to God. Who do you want to be for me right now? Or who are you trying to, to make me more like? Not, not you're trying to make me more like you, but how, what, what are you doing in me? What fruit of the Spirit? What, what process are you doing right now? What, what do you want me to focus on so that I can become more like you? Because no matter what it is, it's not about just doing something different. It's about being different. And I, you know, as you look through scriptures, there's many different people that you could, you could look at and you can view and see. Um, Paul would be a good one, you know, to be able to the apostle Paul and kind of the transitions that he went through um, as a Pharisee and, and going in to be really, a, you know, an apostle to the Gentiles. Joseph is another great one. Uh, all the things that he went through, transitions that he went through in order to be able to really be used by God to save the known world at that time. But I want to look at one example in Scripture that I think that probably best describes this of, of what really happens in a transition, and that's the life of Jacob. Jacob was one, um, man, there's, you know, we, we walk through things and we think like you look at other people and no matter what, you might as well just say everybody's got family issues, right? Jacob had some family issues. I mean, there was jealousy, you know, uh, going on. Um, uh, you know, Jacob was loved by his mother, so Jacob's mother loved Jacob more than she loved Esau, and, and uh, Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob, and then uh, Jacob's mom is like getting him to manipulate his father for things, you know, and just to get the, get the birthright, and it's just like, man, there's a lot of things that are going on. But I want to take you to the place where it's kind of after that story where um, Jacob is really sent to his, his uh, mother's home, home, home place, and uh, he's kind of sent out. His brother Esau wanted to kill him after he stole the birthright and everything, and his mom's like, just get away from here. And again, she kind of manipulated things with her husband in order to be able to send, to send Jacob after her, after her husband. Isaac was already just deceived, found out that his own son deceived him for the blessing. And uh, he goes out. So when he leaves home, he's not leaving on good terms. He's not leaving on good terms. And uh, he gets to this place, and you know, God, even, even no matter what's going on in these transition, God, God's, he's with Jacob. You know, it's a process of almost, almost 20 years here where he's away from home, and he begins to work for his uncle Laban. Um, he marries um, one of his daughters, and then his uncle deceived him, if you remember the story. He was supposed to be marrying Rachel. He worked for her for seven years. Um, for, for he worked for his uncle for seven years for the right to be able to marry her. And uh, on the wedding night, they did it a little bit different. You know, they went into a kind of, I don't want to get into the whole Jewish thing, but uh, whenever, he, whenever he went in uh, and he woke up in the morning, he wasn't with Rachel. He was with the oldest daughter, Leah. And he's like, what? <laughs> did this for, Leah, for Rachel, not for Leah. 
and his, his, the, his uncle deceived him. He's like, hey, this is not how we do it in our hometown. You know, the older's got to get married first, but if you work for me for another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. He's like, okay. So he, you know, he gave her Rachel pretty much right away, and he worked another seven years. And just manipulation, things going on back and forth. I can't imagine. You know, what's, what's amazing, too, is like, you know, Jacob had some encounters with God along the way, but you kind of take it back to Abraham for a minute. Abraham obviously experienced God, and I, and I love what it says. I think it's in, I think it's in um, either tw- chapter 12 or chapter 15 of Genesis where God tells why he chose Abraham. He says, I have chosen him because he will instruct his children in my way. And that way is like, if you look up that word way in the Hebrew, it's like in conversation, in the way of life, you know, just his sojournings, everything he's does. I know Abraham is going to change, is going to impart these revelations that I've given him into his children. And he did it into Isaac. But Isaac had to come to that place where his father's God became his God. And he had an encounter with God. And we don't know, I mean, just because we read it in the Bible, we don't know how much of a relationship that... Jacob and Esau had with God, but it had to go from being the relationship that their father had with God to a relationship that they need to had, needed to have with God. And as he's leaving home, and that's where things really get tested for our young adults, it really gets tested whenever you leave the comfort of a home and you're, you're really, you know, where you were raised and you begin to have to actually rely on Jesus Christ yourself. But that's also the exciting part where you get to realize that he will be just as real for you as he was for your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, whoever it was. And Jacob is on his way to his uh, uncle Laban's house. And he, maybe you know the story. He, he, he uh, uh, rested one evening. He you know, pulled up a rock because they didn't have like the pillow guy in their time. So he lay, pulled up a rock and laid down on it and fell asleep. And he had a dream. And he had a dream and there was a ladder extending to heaven and, and on earth. And angels were coming up and coming down. And God himself was at the top of the ladder. And he began to shout out to David or, begin, or to, not to David, to, to Jacob, began to speak out to him and say, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, and I will be with you. And he began to have his own encounter with God. And he, the Bible says that he, like, he took that rock and he put it up and he poured oil in it. He said, I didn't even know God was here. This is called it Bethel, the house of God. He says, God, if you will be with me and you will eventually bring me back to my family, I'll, I'll, I will serve you and you will be my God. And I'll give you, I'll give you 10% of all that you give me. You know, he just kind of started that right there. And he goes in, so this is this process, and marrying Leah, and marrying, and, uh, marrying Rachel, and then there's such, there's, there's division within his house, because even his, even his two brides, and this, that was a different time, guys, so there's only one wife right now, you don't need two, and all the hassle and stuff that goes on there, right? That's just, it, that's not the way that God, God wants to do it. Be devoted to one, it's, 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 uh, it's better for you. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of, there was a lot of, of you say controversy, there was a lot of uh, bitterness, jealousy, even between, even between the kids of these two different wives. And then th- such, such bitterness and, and, and family turmoil within it that they, they got so jealous. It's like, I'm going to take my maid and, and she can become your wife too. And, and then the other one's like, okay, well, you can have my maid and she can be your wife too. And they're having more kids. And it's just all these things that are going on. And it's really just showing some things that, you know, in this transition, things that God wants to work out of 
Jacob's own heart. He's being deceived by his, his, his uncle, things going on in his own family. And finally, God begins to speak. There's only a couple times that God spoke to Jacob during this 20-year process that we see in Scripture. And God begins to speak to him again and says, I want you to go back to your homeland. I want you to go back to your, to your father and mother. And he talked with his, his spouses about it, and, and they were all in agreement. And they began, to come, they began to go back home. But now he has to deal with some of these things that have, already, have, have still been working on the inside of him. They're, they're still there. He's, God's telling him to go back, so he's obedient to go back. He's obedient to follow God. But now it's stirring some things up on the inside of him because there's some undealt things that are there that God wants to deal with. And this is the funny thing about our own lives in this story is that things just don't go away. God wants to deal with them in our lives because he wants to show you where he's at in that place that he can redeem it to be able to use to help redeem other people or things that you've walked through. Are you with me? So he's going back. There's some fear there that's involved. He's, he was asking God for help. You know, he's afraid to go back because the last time he, he heard anything about his brother, his brother said, when our father dies, I'm going to kill you. That's it. That's how he consoled himself when his, his father was going to die. He's like, dad's going to die soon, and whenever he does, I'm going to kill you for what you've done to me. And so he's, he's walking back into that. So I want to look at some scripture here and looking at this transition. So Genesis chapter 32 uh, 22, I'm going to read a few in here. It says, during the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. Let's stop there for a moment. You know, when you go through transitions... One of the things that you're going to feel is that you're going to feel all alone. Because even if we have somebody there, there's still, it's because some of that transition is not just things that are going on around us, it's a transition of things that are going on inside of us. And God's more concerned about this than this. But God will use these things to stir up these things. Because this is what He's concerned about He's concerned about your heart. And he wants you to be at peace and assurance and know that he's with you. He sent all his possessions, his wife, his children across the river, and he's left alone in the camp. The Bible says, and a man wrestled with him until the, 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 as, as when dawn began to break. And as you, as you look at this, you can see different translations that really, and kind of going down through Jacob actually at the end of this, really says, you know, that this was God. He began to wrestle with God. And I don't know why we do it sometimes. You know, we can wrestle with ourselves too, but when it really comes down to it, whenever we begin to risk, uh, resist transitions, we're really wrestling with God. We're wrestling with the fact that we, we want to hold on to who we are in a sense that's not part of God yet, and we think that it's better. And sometimes I feel like, I think we're just choosing the easy way out because it's really not better. We just don't want to have to deal with it. But God says, in order for me to be able to become more alive in you and have you to have a greater revelation of who you are in me, we've got to deal with this. I want you to know who you are so that you, know, uh, that, so that you can find out who you can become in me. 
So he was left alone, and, and there, there began to be that wrestling. I don't know if you're wrestling with something today. I don't know what, what, you know what you're going through. Whatever it is, God wants you just to trust him. He wants you to put your complete trust in him. Even if you don't totally understand it all, you can understand this, that whatever it is you're walking through, God can turn everything around for good and get the glory through it. So when the man saw that he could, now he's wrestling with God, and the man saw that he couldn't win, obviously we know, if he's wrestling with God, we know that God could win. He'd be like, you know, and Jacob's gone. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about God saying, I'm more powerful than you, you know, squishing you down. He's like, he saw it as a wrestling. God, in God's perspective, it's as a stirring. Let's get these things out. Let's deal with some of these things. Let's get healed in these areas. It says, he touched Jacob's hip. And wrenched it out of its socket. And the man said, let me go. This is the angel, the angel of the Lord. Let me go because dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is the thing. Jacob still don't have the revelation yet. He's asking for a bless, God to bless him in the state that he is in. God don't want to bless you in the state that you're in of your old nature. He wants you to understand the blessing of being in your new nature in him, who he is. Jacob was asking God to do something that God wasn't able to do. I can't, I can't bless your old nature. Jesus went to the cross to kill that old nature so that we could live alive unto God. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I like what it says. I put in here that this is the amplified version of this scripture, the uh, amplified classic. And the man asked him, what is your name? I love this. And in shock of realization, whispering, Jacob said, or he said, Jacob, that's my name, Jacob. And I, I love that because when, if, you, if you study that out, what's going on there, he, he got the realization of, of who, how he saw himself. And it's, it kinda, this is what Jacob means. I'm a supplanter. I'm, I'm a shemer. I'm a trickster. I'm a swindler. This is who I, this is who I am. This is who I've been. This is, this is what I've been all my life. And God's saying, no. We, we want to transition you out of this, and I want to transition you into something else. So God, God told him through this, this, this angel, this encounter, he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, the man told him, but from now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And it doesn't mean that he won over God, that he's stronger than God. It's really that you've allowed me to take you through this wrestling process and you've come out the way I wanted you to come out as a winner. I'm the victorious one. You've allowed me to lead you in the victory. So Jacob, now he's excited. He got this revelation. He's been, he's been changed. He's, his walk is different, obviously. We can see, you know, he, he touched the Bible, says that he walked with a limp from there on out. And when you, when you get an encounter with God, it changes your life. Things become totally different. So from now on, you'll be called Israel. And then Jacob said to him, um, you know, uh, why don't you tell me, or no, where, where, I had to go back here. Please tell me your name. And Jacob said, uh, Jacob said, and the man said, why do you want to know my name? Then he replied, uh, the man replied, then he blessed Jacob there because now he's blessing not who Jacob was, but who Jacob is becoming in Christ. Jacob named the place Penel, Penel which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face and my life has been delivered. The thing I want you to see in this story is that 
when God transitions, transitions us from one place to another, or really, you know, as he's, he's really um, creating more of himself in us, or becoming that revelation of more of himself in us, it's not necessarily that we're giving up this and saying, almost like, you know, transition is not about a choice between this and that. It's like you can have this or you can have that. Transition is about this becoming this. So it's like God using here who you are, what's going on, and saying, listen, this is where you are right now. This is what you're walking through right now. Look what you become if you give this to me. It's not about this or that. It's about this becoming that if we believe in God's transforming power in our lives. So each transition is meant to lead us into an encounter with God. And if you're looking for God in the transition, you may experience some, if you're not looking for God in the transition, you may experience some change, but you'll not embody the lasting transition. So there's a scripture, I'll close with this, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, where it talks about beholding. You know, he goes back into Paul's talking to uh, the Jews at the time and even the Gentiles there, but he's, he's saying, you know, when people look at the law of Moses, um, there's a veil that's over them. He kind of uses Moses as an example, said Moses would go up into the presence of God and he would come down and his face would shine because of being in God's presence. The, he, the glory of the Lord really just soaked into his skin and, and, and he would put a hood over it, kind of a veil over his face because he didn't want the children of Israel to see when that glory faded away. But the Bible says when we turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. We don't have something that can just fade away. We're, we're, we're turning to Christ and, and the, that veil is taken away. And the more we behold him, the more we can become like him. That's why it's so important. And God, God wants you to behold him. Whatever it is you're walking through right now, God wants you to behold him. He wants you to begin to start asking him, God, who are you wanting to be for me right now? What part of you are you wanting to impart into my life or wanting me to see what's going on? Because if it's just about going from one place to another and, and, and we don't become in that transition, we're not becoming more like him, we're doing and we're not being. And we'll get wore out. God don't want us just to do things. He wants us to be. It's not about doing. When we're, when we're in him and we're becoming more like him, the doing will flow out of that, but it can't go the other way. And this is, where we, this is where we get messed up. And I, I did it in my own life early in ministry where you begin to see yourself, what you're doing as who you are in God and what you're doing is not who you are in God. It's what you do for God or even better, it's what you do with God. But that's not the main benefit. The main benefit is becoming like him, that partnership with him in Jesus' name. Let's stand up if you would. Hallelujah. Father, I know every single one of us, Lord God, uh, at a different spot in you right now. And that has nothing to do with good or bad, Lord God. It's just, it's where we are right now. And you want us to see and understand what you're doing. And Father, we need this. I know how this has helped my life in so many ways to be able to begin to understand of things that I've walked through and your people here, your precious ones, Lord God, things that they're walking through or that they have walked through. It's not that you bring all these things upon us, Lord God. There's, there are some leadings that you lead into, but 
even when the enemy tries to do, or we just lead ourselves astray sometimes, Lord God, you can turn all things around for good. Because ultimately what you're doing is leading us to yourself. And I pray just for your peace right now upon your people, right here in this, in this room, the families that are represented here, your peace, whatever transition they may be walking in right now, that they would be, begin to understand that you're wanting them to become more like you. And that we would trust your Holy Spirit in the things that are not yet revealed, Lord God. We would trust your Holy Spirit because you delight in us and you care for us and you love us. Whether you feel it or you don't feel it, you know, we're at a place in history right now where God is, as his church, he's taken us deeper. He's awaking his body. There's, there's people within the body of Christ that are still wounded and hurt. And man, God's just wanting to wake up and bring total healing and, and refreshment to his body within the earth because there's still so much great work to do for the glory of God. And when we all begin to stand up at the utterance of his word, his prophetic utterance, and the breath of life being breathed upon us will be an army like never before on the earth to wreak havoc upon the kingdom of, of darkness and to release the kingdom of heaven. So Father, we just thank you for that today.